But we are continuing today to look at the book of Matthew. In the last couple of weeks, we've had some pretty controversial passages. We spoke of one of them last week about who are the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We spoke about how we're grafted into that house of Israel. And in chapter 10, we left off with the sending of the disciples. And we get in verses 11 through 40, verses that are in the context of sending the disciples, instructions Yeshua gives for their journey and so forth. And we're going to skip past that this week to finish covering some other controversies and particularly the reason for healings that have been happening in the last chapters. And when we talk about healings and so forth and miracles, it can be hard for some because, you know, in this country, these things don't happen to the degree that we see them happening in Scripture. And so again, I want to you to understand that as a teacher at Sar Shalom, I am striving to teach just what's in the book. I don't try to make it say what I would like or make excuses for what it says when I teach. You hardly ever hear me say I believe. I'm not going to uh, say that I never give you my opinion, but when I do, I try and qualify it as that. Say that this is my opinion. But, and here's the reason. There's the truth of the Word of God, and then there's opinion, conjecture, theory about Scripture. But I can tell you that the, that the Scripture teaches that the good news is one of total restoration of body, spirit, and so forth. And so let me say, when I'm speaking of healing, I'm just going to give you what Scripture says and no conjecture. So here's what verse 35 of chapter 9 said. It says, Yeshua went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so what I want you to see here is that Yeshua preached the good news and when he preached the good news, he healed every sickness and disease. And so what the good news, what do you suppose the good news that he was preaching was? What do you suppose the good news was? Well, chapter 4 of Matthew gives us some insight into what it was. Chapter 4, verse 17 says, From that time on, Yeshua began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The good news is that the kingdom of heaven is near. And that through repentance, access is now possible. Through Yeshua, the kingdom of Israel is expanding as we talked about last week. And it's with this message of the kingdom that we see healings, demons fleeing, dead coming to life. The kingdom is near because, in this passage, because the king is near. And through faith and repentance and obedience to the king, you can gain admittance to that kingdom. And let me say, in the kingdom there is no sickness. No disease. And so we can begin to understand why these things are happening. We can certainly see why Matthew is telling the story in this fashion. He wants the reader to understand that Yeshua is King Messiah, that the kingdom is near. He's King of the Kehilat, what we call the church, but what it is in fact, as we spoke of last week, the Israel that we're grafted into. And the thing that is sometimes hard for us to accept is that there was healing and the, of the effects of sin. That was part of the good news. And we can all understand it in this passage because here is the king. The kingdom is on Yeshua. He is the king of the kingdom and there is no sickness. There is no death. 
No demons. So with the king is, when the king is present, these things must flee. And we can see that in the story of the, le- the, the legion of demons. Remember what they said to Yeshua? Have you come to torment us before the appointed time? When we accept Yeshua, we are kingdom members. And the kingdom is present in our lives. And yet, where are the effects? You see, healings and miracles and demons fleeing was not limited to Messiah Yeshua. Yeshua sends His disciples out to preach the good news. And before He sends them, He says this to them in chapter 10, verse 1. He says He called His 12 disciples and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. You see, He sends His disciples out to do the same things. And the reason is simple. The kingdom is near. They are its ambassadors. And if we skip down to verse 5, it says this, These twelve Yeshua sent out and accompanied them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worth his food. You see, as the sent ones, they were given the power to heal, to cleanse. And the reason is simple. It's part of the good news that that they're out declaring. And so again, the reason all of this is hard, but why is all this hard for us is the reason is that we don't see these things in our country as, at least as much as we would think one should see them. At least I don't see them as much. And so what do we do because of that? What do we do because of that? Well, some places they try to fabricate some miracles and some healings, and that's why we see stories of gold teeth, gold dust, barking like dogs and so forth. Others make excuses for why it's not happening. Some say disciples were given special powers because they had to proclaim that Yeshua was the Messiah to get people to accept that, to get the good news out there, get it started. They had to be able to address these needs of the people to attract crowds. And I've said this before. You know, the people of the first century, they did not see this big gulf between spirit and body. And to say to someone, look, believe on Yeshua and you'll be saved one day, but until then you'll have to remain blind was unheard of. That wouldn't be good news. That would not have been good news. That would not have been the kingdom of heaven is near. And so they say, well, God gave the disciples these miracles, this special authority to drive out demons, to preach the good news and have it accepted and spread. Well, let me say, let me let you in on a little secret. There's nothing new under the sun. It's the same today. There are people with demons, people who can't walk or see. And they're not concerned with something down the road. They're concerned with their life right now. If you go into the mission fields abroad like Africa, you're going to find people walking and being carried for miles because of what they've heard is going on. Walking being carried for miles, limping for miles, tens of miles. 
You won't see the rich or the unoppressed flocking to the preachers. No, you see the lame, the blind, the oppressed, those needing help today. And guess what? In Africa, they get it. If they weren't getting help, they wouldn't make that long, arduous journey on foot. Is the need to preach the good news any greater then than now? Well, I can tell you this. The lost outnumber the found by thousands to one today, just as in the first century. There are more lost Jews today than in the first century. And so on close scrutiny, you can see these arguments that you hear for the lack of healings in this country or in Europe. They're just excuses. They're theory. They're not what Scripture declares. Listen again to this statement. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons freely you have received. Freely give. And he sends his disciples out to preach the good news. And we find these passages disturbing and so we're just quick to make excuses for the reason that, hey, this isn't our reality right now. Something, Something's askew here. And I want to jump ahead to a passage where Yeshua again addresses these miracles. If we go to Matthew chapter 11, in verse 4, it says, Yeshua answered them saying, Go tell John the things you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In this passage, we have John, he's in jail. And understand the jail at this time was not uh, uh, done to rehabilitate criminals, but to hold them until a final solution could be brought about. And that final solution, of course, was execution, usually on a stake. John's case, it was beheaded. So John more than likely has resigned himself as he's in jail to death that awaits him. Barring some great miracle, he, he, he knows that death awaits him. And this passage, like those of healings, also represents some problems for us as disciples. And that is, how could one who prepared the way for Messiah, who declared on the banks of the Jordan, Yeshua to be the Son of God, be doubting if Yeshua is the Messiah? Let's read what he says at the banks of the Jordan. In John chapter 1, it says, The next day John saw Yeshua coming toward him and said, Look! the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed in Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I thought, saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I would not have known him except that the one who sent to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down is, and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit as I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. And so we see that John declared this, Yeshua to be the Son of God and the Messiah, and yet now in chapter 11 he seems to be doubting. It's kind of hard for us to accept that one like John, this pillar of the faith, this one who prepared the way for Messiah, was doubting. And so we come up with theories again. One of the we've developed is, and the main promoter of this theory is David Stern, and that's the two, two Messiah concept theory. 
You see, there's a tradition in the Talmud of two messiahs, a messiah ben Joseph, one who would suffer, and a messiah ben David, one who would reign. And so the teaching says that John knew Yeshua was the suffering messiah, but he wondered if he was also the kingly messiah. And that's entirely possible, but the problem with that is, is is that tradition of two messiahs is a much later addition to the Talmud. There's no real evidence that it was even around at the time of Yeshua, the time of John. It may have well been, but we can't show any proof. We do know from the Dead Sea Scrolls that there was taught that there was two messiahs among the Essenes, but this in that teaching, one was a priestly messiah and one was a kingly messiah. Maybe John is referring to one of those. I don't know. We'll have to wait till we see him and then we can ask him what was on his mind. But let me say this. No matter what theory you subscribe to, the fact is John is doubting. Of that there is no doubt. He's in jail. He's called Herod and his new wife on the sin of their relationship and he's waiting awaiting death. And he's wondering, what happened? Where's the kingdom that God sent me to preach? If you think that he's questioning whether, questioning whether Yeshua is Messiah at all, or whether you que- think he's questioning whether he's the kingly Messiah, the fact is, he's still questioning. He's still doubting. There's no doubt about it. We might better understand this if we look at the words of Yeshua a little later in chapter 11. He says this in verse 14, And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He who has ears, let him hear. And so Yeshua tells us that John is the Elijah who was to come. Now this could go a long way to explaining the statement because if we look at the life of Elijah, we can see some of the same doubt. Elijah, think of Elijah. He raises a girl to life. He's fed miraculously by ravens. We have this amazing story of the defeat of the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18 where Elijah slays the prophets of Baal. The Lord makes a mockery of of their gods by sending fire from heaven to consume Elijah's offering even though it says water and everything else poured out. But no sooner than God does this amazing thing for Elijah, and we read this in chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent messengers to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. And he came to a broom tree and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. You see, Elijah too has his moment of doubt. Could it be that John as the Elijah who was to come, he's just having his same moment of doubt and despair? We don't like to accept that these pillars of our faith, of the faith, like John could doubt or have moments of despair. But the Bible tells us that they did. 
even though Elijah has this time of doubt, this time of despair, the Lord has forsaken him. He cries out to the Lord, and we'll read this in verse 14. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king of over Israel and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Azel. Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. And so what does the Lord do? Well, he encourages Eliza. He tells him about the victory he's going to have. He tells him, I've reserved 7,000 who have not bowed their knee. Very much the same thing Yeshua does to John. What does he say? Go tell him what you see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. You see, I want, what I want to get across today is we all have moments of doubt. No matter who you are. I have them. You have them. We all have them. And if you come to me and tell me you don't have them, then you're not looking very closely at yourself. You're out of touch with reality. Because everyone has them. It's not whether... Or not, we have moments of doubt, but it's what we do with those moments of doubt that determines who we are in the kingdom. Elijah and John, both looking at the end of their lives because of their service to God, had doubt. And both prayed. John sent a messenger asking God to help with the doubt. Instead of letting doubt destroy them, they sought answers. They sought God for answers. And God was faithful in both cases to provide the answers. God is faithful. If we're faithful, if we trust Him, if we seek Him, He'll provide answers for doubt. It's not doubt that's terrible. It's our response to doubt that's terrible. It can be debilitating and destroying, faith-destroying. Doubt destroys faith. And doubt is common in all the world. You know, the world, the present evil age, is always tearing at the fabric of our faith, causing us to doubt. If we seek God in those moments of doubt, and we don't make excuses, if we don't add to Scripture to justify our doubt, as we've done with healings, but seek God doesn't have to do that. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's our response to doubt that's the bad thing. We need to seek God. Question Him. Ask Him. Let's take what we've learned of Elijah and John and put it back into the statement. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. 
Raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Well, what have we done with this? What have we done in the face of not always seeing these things in our lives? Have we really sought out the Lord? Have we taken the time to question Him? Or have we come up with things like, well, you know, this was a special thing that God did with Yeshua to show the people that He was the Messiah. This was a special thing that the Lord did with the disciples to help them spread the good news. That was for the first century, not for today. Have we sought God until we had the answers or have we made excuses and developed doctrines to explain why God isn't the same today, yesterday, and forever? Because I can tell you Those are excuses. They're not part of Scripture. If you can find it, I'd like to see it. They're conjecture. And Scripture declares where the kingdom is, healing is. There's life. And there are no demons. Let's go to the book of Mark. You know, Mark, just before this same event, records something that Matthew doesn't. Just before the sending of the twelve. In chapter 6 and verse 2 it says, What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't he the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Yeshua said to them, Only in his own hometown, among his relatives, And in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he could not do any many miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. You see, doubt had destroyed faith. And in this case, it was familiarity with Yeshua that caused people to doubt in Yeshua. And it destroyed their faith. And we're told that Yeshua could do no real miracles there because of that. And we also see in this passage the only thing that really ever amazed Yeshua. The only thing that ever amazed Yeshua was great faith and lack of faith. He was amazed at both. Remember, we saw in the story of the centurion that he was amazed at his great faith. And that great faith left his servant healed And Yeshua to declare that many from the nations would come on that day and take their seat at the wedding supper. And here we see he's amazed at a lack of faith. And here the lack of faith leaves them all sick, unclean, and demon-ridden. You see, don't make excuses for God. He doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't need us to make excuses for Him either. He needs us to declare boldly what the Word of God says. He wants us to declare what His Word says. And if you have doubts about that, as John or Elijah, then go to Him in prayer. Question Him. Get answers. Because that's what Scripture teaches. That's what Scripture teaches we should do in the face of doubt or adversity. The adversity that brings doubt. You know, many were excited last week. Somebody told me that all kinds of CDs went out of the bookstore because we taught, uh, last week we taught on our place in the kingdom and how we've been grafted in. We're no longer foreigners, aliens. Let's read it again, Ephesians 2, 13. 
It says, but now, Messiah Yeshua, you were once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Yeshua. See, in review, when we, when we, when we accept Yeshua, the kingdom comes near. We're part of the kingdom. It's present in our lives. We become ambassadors of the kingdom that we are part of. When people look at us, they're supposed to see Yeshua. We're to be like Him. And if not, then we better get down on our faces and find out why. If our lives don't line up with God's Word, if the circumstances of our lives don't seem to reflect what God tells us they should look like, we can go to Him. In fact, He wants us to go to Him to seek Him out. We are His people. We're His sons. We're His daughters, as Ephesians says in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Messiah Yeshua as the chief cornerstone in Him. The whole building joins together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. You see, when we accept Yeshua, the kingdom comes near to us. The kingdom is present in our lives. The Spirit of God indwells us. Yeshua, the King, takes up residence within our hearts. Show me one place in the book that at the presence of Yeshua, people weren't healed, the sole exception being the one that I just read, where they doubted. Let me tell you what I think, and now you're going to get my opinion. See, I told you I'd warn you. I think our churches have become like Yeshua's hometown. We're not seeing maybe what they said. Remember what they said? What is this wisdom that has been given him that he does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. No, we're saying things like, Yeshua isn't the same. He only did these things to spread his name. That's not what Scripture says. We read what Scripture says a couple weeks ago. We read it just earlier today. Yeshua did these things because He saw the people like sheep, as sheep without a shepherd and He had compassion on them. You think He's changed His mind? You think He doesn't have compassion anymore? He's not still not the compassionate one? Abounding in love and mercy? Maintaining love to thousands? Notice what it says. They took offense at him. And the word here is kind of a, is scandalizo. And I put part, just part of the definition up here because it has quite a lengthy one. But it says, to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. To cause to fall away. To cause one to judge unfavorably or unjustly another. You see, their familiarity had caused them to doubt, to lose faith. And I submit to you that the church has taken offense at Yeshua, just as his hometown has. We have become so familiar 
with who the preachers say he is that we don't recognize who he is. We talk about all the other things that have been handed down since the first century by the priests, by the Catholic Church. Don't you think these teachings came that way? He's the one on whom our sins were laid and by whose stripes were healed. And we've made him a comfortable picture on the wall. But friends, he's the mighty one of Israel. He's the healer of the nations. All nations. Jewish, non-Jewish. Let's take our doubt to the Lord. And in overcoming our doubt, we'll find answers like John did. Don't see the King Messiah? You don't see King Messiah in your life? Well, ask Him to give you the answers you seek. Have doubts about the kingdom of God in your life? Well, go to Him. And you'll overcome like Elijah. Listen to what happened to Elijah. Chapter 2, 2 Kings, verse 11. And as they were walking along together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up in heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah, Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariot and the horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Elijah, through questioning God and working through doubt, is taken to heaven in a chariot of fire. Do you really think that God who erased Elijah's doubt and took him away in a chariot of fire cannot heal you? Cannot heal a simple disease? Yeshua is not the hometown boy we painted him to be. He's not just the miracle worker of the first century. He's Messiah. He's soon to return. And we have become like Nazareth, doubting. All the while in Africa, Russia, China, around the world, Yeshua is healing the brokenhearted. It's time we took the picture that we painted of Him off the wall and looked to the King. Amen?